You're listening to And hey everyone, welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club, the podcast where we talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. This is episode 42. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me once again, we have professional Asian-American, just you. She wants to retire, Marvin, but hello, hi everyone. It's busy time for you now, huh? I just want to be a rich man's second wife. Um, somewhere on an island would would really striving the new career goals. You say that, but I think you'd be really, really bored too. No, then I can just be like a philanthropist, you know, like those rich ladies who just dick around and have fun, but like do good. I can see that. Also joining us, professional culture editor Han Wen. Hey. Uh, I agree with you, Jess. If I don't have a job, doesn't mean I'm I'm gonna be idle. I'm gonna be <laughs> doing stuff, so uh, I can pursue all those things that I want to do. It's busy season for you too, Han, right? Because you're out of TCA and now right into awards season. I'm still in TCA. TCA is gonna happen forever now. <laughs> TCA uh, owns you now. It will never end. <laughs> I'm on week three, and I think I have about three more weeks. Wow, this left. Is and there that much TV season, coming up? Like, well, well, the deal is because in person you had you could be there for longer hours, but if you're at home um, with COVID and stuff, then you have a life. So it's like that means you they have to give us breaks for like food and taking care of your kids and stuff like that. And so that means they don't do weekends, they don't do evenings, and so wow. which in some ways is great because then I can do other stuff, but that also just means that it stretches much longer than the usual amount of time. It will never end. It, it really doesn't. And and they're being very sparing. It's like in in some places, like they don't have new content. It's more of like, hey, here's our British partner. And this is this content that's new to you. But um, <laughs> it's still there's still plenty of TV. I mean, they're they're launching new streaming services every freaking day. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm 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 definitely exhausted. And it's award season you know for the next you know whatever months so yeah. yeah that's a lot at the very least we'll still have a lot more good pop to look forward to over the next few years i guess but on this episode we're talking all about the new mcu series wandavision now available on disney plus um and wow it's been a ride but before we get to that let's find out what good pop's been getting us through the week uh jess what's popping so season two of Blown Away has come out. Uh, it was the like hot flash reality competition show on Netflix. It's just as good. Um, it is, you know, they bring in a bunch of glass blower artists and there's always this, I call him the glass hole. That's like the character trope. It's like some, it's usually a man who's just like super aggro about glass blowing. Um, and, you know, who knew that was a trope I needed in my... I don't know if I need them in my life. But still great. It's still based in like art and doing well. I don't think the cast is quite as fun as last year's or last season's. But everyone... I do feel like the talent level has like overall gone up. So would definitely recommend checking it out. There's really not much more to say than like glass competition. <laughs> 30, 20, 30 minutes an episode. You can blow through it in one day. Uh, and it. it's great. 
blow through it. Now, when you say glass hole, do you mean glass hole in terms of like a toxic glass hole or more of like a Dwight Schrute super into it anal retentive glass hole? Oh, they toxic. Like this is some like <laughs> agro macho bullshit because there's apparently I mean I shouldn't be surprised, but in the glass blowing community, there's also a sexism problem. <laughs> so, you know, there's always, there's like oh, this, the one guy this season is like a teacher. He's like taught a lot of the, some of the other contestants. He's taught some of the judges, um, you know, the guest judges that come in. He definitely has a, like a lot of emotions. Like every episode, he kind of starts crying and makes it about himself. <laughs> Um, but then there's also like very aggro, like I'm so good and like yeah, like I'm doing me. I'm a maverick. I rub people the wrong way, and I'm like, sir, glass, it's fine. Calm down. <laughs> I mean, that's always the case when people talk big. They really have a very low self esteem. So yes, and it's 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 as fragile as glass, perhaps. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey. what's popping with you? Okay, I want to take a little poetic license as far as like pop culture. Um, because so I took a Zoom cooking class um, for Beng Chung, which is a um, a traditional Vietnamese dish that we especially make around Lunar New Year. And the way I'm going to tie it in with like pop culture is um, so it was all z- through Zoom and it was uh, across several different cities. So uh, San Francisco, LA, Houston, New York, I believe, maybe Dallas. I can't remember. Um, but we had a special guest, um, before we started cooking and it was Tao Win from Tao and the Get Down, uh, Stay oh, Down, wow. which was pretty awesome. That's and pretty sweet. yeah. And so to hear her wail, like right before, and then everyone just like on Zoom, like going, Oh my God. Oh my God. And so they were like calling it like a tiny. Okay. So the Vietnamese word for, uh, table is uh ban so they were calling it like a, t- a tiny ban concert but then someone else called it tiny bang concert which is the bang the bang chung so it was like all puns which was fantastic and um and food and music um so that was probably like the highlight but also for me it was just one of those things where like everyone has been doing these zoom cooking classes uh throughout pandemic and i've kind of been like swore to leery about it like i don't know if i want to like sit in my kitchen and like watch people do stuff and not be able to see um but for the most part what i can tell is they do a lot for you and especially if you can pick up locally um they do a lot of the pre-mixing and pre-whatever um for you and you just end up assembling which is kind of like actually what my mom does when I cook with my mom and my aunt, they do all the all the hard stuff, and I come in. They're like, "Here, wrap this," and I'm like, "But this doesn't teach me how to cook." Um, and uh, so it was it was very smartly done because even though where there was about 150 or plus people in my particular class, then they broke you into small smaller Zoom rooms where you had a local teacher teach whatever ten people. And so that way it's like, I can't wrap this. I don't know how to tie twine. Then they can like talk you through it. And then once you're done with it, then you go back to the main room and um, some of the, you know, the really good people could like show off what they made and we can ask questions like, okay, I don't want to steam it for 10 hours in a steamer. What do I do before Instant Pot? You know, (laughs) and it was only 50 minutes in Instant Pot, which was great. Um, So one of the things I thought I was going to, um, 
that's one of the things that I really miss about like not being able to see my family is twice a year I go home to Houston and I cook with my mom and my aunt and it's always me complaining that they don't teach me everything just right. And then they complain that uh, they usually make fun of whatever I'm making because it doesn't look right. And I I thought I was going to miss that aspect of it. But then when I sent my photos to my mom and my aunt, they both made fun of me. So, <laughs> so it was great. Like my, my aunt literally was like, I'm not going to say it looks good because that wouldn't be true. But Ouch. I'm sure it tastes good. <laughs> you know, wow. it's not an Asian American immigrant upbringing if you've never experienced positive reinforcement ever from your parents yeah i think my mom sent me three links on how to improve my technique <laughs> and stuff like alicia that. offers that guidance every time i try to make dumplings with my mom especially like after crazy rich asians i was like let's go make dumplings together and she's just like it's bad and i'm like how do i do better she's like i don't know make it less bad that's literally the advice she gave me like just suck less and i'm like you know, like, I'm like, how did you learn? She's like, I just learned how to do it, and I stopped sucking. And I'm like, this is not helpful at all. She's like, are you, you sure you're my daughter? Yeah. You know, in some ways, I kind of sympathize a little bit more now because I realized I'm also very much a an instinctive cook. Um, and so since I started working at Salon, people are like, you know, my editors keep saying, like, when you write something, like, how do you cook it? And I was like, well, I cook my scrambled eggs with fish sauce and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, why don't you write that recipe? So it's just unique. And I'm just like, I just realized that I just do everything according to feel. And so now when my, you know, my mom like tries to describe recipes to me, I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, I don't I'd have to actually pay attention and pause and write things down and then like adjust because not everyone likes as much salt as I do and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I sympathize. And being even a writer, I'm just like, I need to be better at this. And I'm not. So it was it was it was a really good experience. And now I'm kind of open to like checking out other cooking classes like i know melissa king the top chef winner from last season she's been doing cooking classes so i've just been keeping an eye on what she's doing because some of the recipes are things i don't want to do like i make my own seafood chowder i don't need to like do hers (laughs) but like i like the i like the asian food experiences because those are things i miss doing with my family so um yeah i'm gonna check out more of those (laughs) so marvin what's popping with you not much. I didn't really watch any new pop culture except for WandaVision, which we're talking about after the break. Um, but what I have been doing is continuing to play through games that I'm in the middle of. So um, I've hit the third act of Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, which was the aforementioned rice farming slash platforming action game um, that's available on all platforms I'm playing on my Switch. So I'm at the point where um, there is a crisis where all my work has become undone by you know climate change essentially oh, no and what is so this game? now i have to like regain my rice what? god powers no! um, <laughs> it's finally becoming the the game that marvin always wanted it to be <laughs> <laughs> but i'm it's bad because whenever i start this game it, it's just like stardew valley where each day is broken up into a certain time period and it has that like one more day one more turn loop that once i get keyed into I play till like 4 a.m. It's real That's bad. how they get you. They're like, <laughs> they give you that first hit. And then it's like, you you look up. It's like, oh my God, six hours have passed. <laughs> um, so uh, I've gotten the point where I've gotten most of my powers back. I think I'm right about right before the final boss. Um, and yeah, working through that game still great. Um, <laughs> so 
I've upgraded my farm to the point where now I have like actual, I have a water mill to help me pound the rice without having to work it. I have like machines to help me thresh the rice. And basically I've entered the like bronze age of like rice <laughs> of farming, rice making. <laughs> which is great. How how many hours would you say you've spent on this game? I can or check do they right log now. It? Let me check my switch right now. Hold on. Because I think I'm approaching like 170 hours on Stardew Valley. <laughs> but my farm is sweet. It's not that bad. I've only logged 35 hours. And I think it's about huh. a 40-hour game. So I'm at the last like last <laughs> okay. few hours of it. Okay. Um, but okay. this is about the time progress where... Progress is really exponential, right? Like yeah. the speed of progress. The speed of progress is like the, the, better, the better you do at rice farming, the more your stats grow. But you can also just grind that. And I'm at the point right now. I'm at this. I do this a lot with games with like an open world setting where I get to the final boss and I just don't complete it. I just keep grinding till I'm like super over leveled. And at <laughs> some point I might finish the game. Like I still haven't finished Breath of the Wild, the Zelda game. Mm. I've gotten everything. I've completed every single other quest except for the final boss. And from what I've read online, that's not an uncommon thing. It's just the game uh. is just so fun that why finish it? You don't want you want it to last forever. <laughs> you know, I do that with TV shows. I didn't know people did that with t- uh, video games. Oh yeah, it's definitely a thing. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what's popping. Um, other than that, um, WandaVision is just it's so good. I'm super excited to talk to you both about it. And um, yeah, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna enter the world of WandaVision. Stick around. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. WandaVision is the newest entry from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In fact, it's the start of Phase 4 of the MCU. And the first of the MCU's expansion into... Actually, that's not true. And the original Netflix series. But it's it's. I think it's the first series under like the direct control of Kevin Feige and the... Yeah the cinematic universe which they are going to continue to kind of merge those two with some tv characters have been announced that will appear in the um in the in the film because like colson basically like spoiler dies quote unquote dies in adventure and then like we never see him in the mcu again yeah i i think agents of shield was the sneakier um version of the crossover into the MCU like a lot of people were quite sure that it how it, how or if it was going to dovetail whereas this is very clearly an offshoot of what we saw on the big screen yeah i guess it's the next proper MCU media after Spider-Man Far From Home yes it is the bridge between the phases <laughs> so WandaVision is on the surface a show about Wanda Maximoff and Vision as they try to fit in in a suburban community modeled after retro TV shows but something mysterious is lurking underneath the facades the show is ongoing episode 5 just aired last Friday um, by the time this comes out it will be near episode 6 um, so because it's ongoing because people not everyone has had a chance to watch it yet we're going to keep our conversations relatively spoiler free 
although we will be touching on spoilers because we can't talk about it without it. So um, for those of you who haven't watched it yet, if you're a fan of MCU, watch it. It's what you're looking for. And in fact, it's probably just as good as some of the best MCU films that have come out. So um, definitely worth watching. Um, but this is your spoiler warning. Uh, we're going to probably touch on some story points and some twists. With that out of the way, what does everyone think about WandaVision? So what I thought was interesting is I liked it from the very get-go. Um, and I, some of the criticisms I've heard from some people is that um, because it is a TV series, um, 30 minutes or less, because the credits are like 12 minutes long. <laughs> They're um, so long. They're so long. <laughs> yeah. If you thought if you thought credits in the movies were long, this proportionally is much longer. I did a um, time check and I thought, oh, we still have like 15 minutes of show left. And then Yeah. You get you get excited because you're like, oh cool, there's probably gonna be some like in credit, whatever stuff. And you're like, no, it's just eight, 12 minutes of credits, whatever. <laughs> but um so what I would just say is for those people for some of those people who found it a little bit too slow, um, it's actually good if you haven't started it because then you can binge like at least three three to two episodes at a time. And that does help, especially at the very beginning. Whereas um, like I was, so here's the thing. The reason why I really liked it is I grew up watching a lot of the shows that they were based on, mainly through Nick at Night. So like um, what we've seen is generally... Each episode takes place during one decade of TV. So the first episode is in highly inspired by Dick Van Dyke show um, in the 50s. And then the uh, second is highly inspired by, let's say, um, Mary Tyler Moore and a few uh, Bewitched, Bewitched, um, which is sort of 60s. Um, and then it goes on. And of course, they break it up a little bit or else we're going to run out of decades. <laughs> but... Um, Something that always struck me when I was watching a lot of those Nick at Night shows like Dick Van Dyke, especially Patty Duke, Donna Reed show, is that while a lot of it was kind of happy, I remember just always feeling this sort of disconnect because I knew that the time wasn't that great, right? Like the 50s was full of uh, a very a veneer of like wearing pearls and the household but you know it was during the cold war and all this other stuff and then like in patty duke show she was she was dealing with like bipolarism and she you know and all this other stuff so in a way what i loved about the show immediately was that sort of underlying sense of dread <laughs> while i was watching the whole thing while i was also laughing and they do some spot on really good tributes to the dick van dyke show um not only is the set dressing crazily like like eerily just like it but there's even a scene where um a supporting uh character is agnes who is sort of like the nosy next door neighbor that you see in a lot of these sitcoms. played by the great Catherine Hahn. yes and so she does a thing where she comes into the kitchen and she is it's sort of like a play she talks nonstop while she's doing all this sort of choreography and like picking up stuff and dropping things and whatever and getting pushed around backwards and all this other stuff. And then finally she leaves. And then you realize like she was talking the whole time. Um, everyone else was like working around her. And yeah, it was just like a play. And so that was actually literally based on a scene I remember seeing. In, and they even called it out, I think, on Nick at Night showing like this character, I think her name was Millie or something, did the same thing where they had to like make her do it over and over and over again and it's just like 
sort of this bravura performance of just one person being crazy. Um, so that's what I liked about it. And of course, you know, we'll get to it a little bit more. But when I talk about the underlying sense of dread, um, that tension breaks every now and then in each episode where they actually show that there is something to dread. And I love that because you're like, holy crap, it happened. But then in the earlier episodes, you're kind of not sure what's happening. You just know it happened. Yeah. And then until much later. Yeah, this is one of those shows that really benefits from the weekly release schedule because you have people already after last Friday's like super revealing episode, you have tons of YouTube videos, think pieces, people trying to figure out what the hell is going on with this show. And it has that kind of feeling of everyone trying to decipher the clues um, like people do with shows like Westworld or The OG Lost. Yeah, I do miss this. Is this how people felt when they were watching Lost? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like the theories. It was crazy. <laughs> and it's Marvel, so you know there's like a million Easter eggs within the context of the story referencing, you know, like they're, they're Easter egging both like the its own Marvel Cinematic Universe. They're Easter egging the comics in which a lot of these stories are based. And they're Easter egging like this historic like entertainment tv language right which as someone who grew up watching reruns and nick at night and who really they're like enjoyed these old like multi-cam sitcoms that we don't really get anymore or you know we get but are not necessarily in vogue anymore it's just it's so fun and i it must have been so fun to work on this like <laughs> just above it like like from the actors down to like you know all the below the line and the production designers like you get to do like seven shows in one and and just the way they like call back to certain designs and you you know it, it's like oh it's the full house house but it's not i mean mm -hmm. this is the closest elizabeth olsen will get to being on the same show as her famous sisters from was full it wrong house. is it wrong i'm just thinking like wow she's such a better actor than her <laughs> no sisters. of course no no she's no. so good she i mean for anyone who hasn't seen sorry for your loss um, and only saw her in the movies, you might not realize how great of an actress she is. Um, and yeah, the Olsen twins, they are what they are, you know, <laughs> but they never, no one ever said that they were like great actors. And also the, their material was just never like that. So yeah. It's okay. It, They're filthy rich. They're fine. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> They're fine. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm kind of glad that it turned out like this because I have to say I underestimated her when she first started acting. It was okay, to be fair, Ultron was like I think decidedly and like consensusly consensus is that it's like the worst MCU movie just in terms of like writing plot. They made her do this weird like Soviet-ish accent, which she kind of drops throughout the film, comes back a little bit. Yeah. It's weird. But I also love that they like totally poke fun at that in this first episode. So, so that's a question I have. Um, a little bit, you know, pre-spoiler alert. I think I don't think we can talk in depth about this without revealing at least you know parts of what happened in episode four when when we kind of enter the contemporary world and Randall Park and Monica Rambeau come in <laughs> to Noya Paris. But I'm just wondering, like, okay, so like we find out that this is a creation in the real world using her powers and we're, we're guessing right now like it's part of her grief or that's how it's presented why a bunch of american sitcoms is it because she grew up in like soviet era like eastern bloc country and that's 
what's on TV as the ideal. Like it's it's such an interesting choice from the show, like the real world, how they're doing the show, and then like in the character world, like why why sitcoms? I think that's part of it. So a lot of the series draws from this crossover event from I think it was the early two thousands called House of M, which is. Uh, Marvel does this every once in a while when their timelines and their worlds get too big. They do a crossover event to consolidate everyone together, similar to the Avenger, Infinity War, Endgame duology, right? Where they kind of consolidate and reestablish the status quo of their universe. So the House of M series, like WandaVision, centers on the character of Wanda Maximoff, or as she's known as in the X-Men universe, um, the Scarlet Witch. Um, And basically... After the traumatic loss of both of her children, she decides to recreate the world by altering reality to a world where mutants are the superior race. Um, Mutants in the X-Men universe are like an oppressed minority of superpowered individuals. And uh, within this new world, um, her family becomes the de facto rulers. And that's important because um, in the X-Men universe, um, Wanda Maximoff and her brother Pietro are the children of Magneto who is the longtime nemesis of the X-Men and sometimes anti-hero. And her actions and the results of that um, has huge effects on the entire Marvel comic universe at the end of that series. I think this is important because for reasons that are huge spoilers, this series seems to be a focal point of merging the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the Fox X-Men Cinematic Universe. Um, Remember that Disney recently acquired the rights of the X-Men films through their acquisition of Fox, which gives them the opportunity to finally unite the two sides of Marvel's um, cinematic universes. And depending on how closely this series follows the story of the House of M, there's a chance that this series is where we start seeing the entrance of mutants into the MCU. Um, and that'll really shake things up for um, for the upcoming phase four. <laughs> shake up the shake up the timelines <laughs> and make them a butt ton of money. Yeah. Um, but so that's where it draws from. And I guess to answer your question, Jess, I'm not sure why they went for American sitcoms, but I mean, all the sitcoms that they parody, the Family Ties, Full House, they're all about having the ideal nuclear family, right? And I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, Wanda Maximoff is a character who throughout the MCU has been visited by trauma after trauma after trauma, right? Losing her family to war, losing her brother to Ultron, like losing her love twice, once by killing him herself and then having that death reversed and having him killed again by Thanos. Like she's been she's been put through the ringer um, in all the movies, right? And, you know, this show is about her processing that grief or essentially running away from it because she has reality altering powers. Right. If you have the ability to create your own world to run away to, why not? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like maybe they will write in a very specific explanation about why TV, but I think drawing our own conclusions works also because since it is mainly focusing on sitcoms, like your uh, Marvin was saying, you know, that's the whole nuclear family thing, and you know, having her kids and her husband there is very important to her, um, especially because of her losses. Uh, and we I, gain I, a lot from it, too. Like, watching Paul Bettany just be sitcom dad has been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but but I would also say, in a certain extent, that everyone going through COVID has been doing the same thing. We've been retreating, finding all our escapism, and, um, 
and and sort of dissociating with our own reality. Uh, and 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 some people have mentioned this, like the whole 2020 wasn't just about like fear and paranoia and whatever, but like it was sort of like an extended and still is an extended sort of experience with grief. Um, it, whether you lost someone or not, like even our innocence keeps getting killed over and over and over again. And so like, no one's going to be the same after this. And it, it the thing is, you know, we, we have to dip back, you know, into our reality a lot. And so when we see her like, having these happy, happy things there, there's that still that sort of like bittersweet thing that you're doing when you're watching how crazy it is. Um, that really gets you. It's just so poignant and yet wacky at the same time. It's kind of fascinating how they can like balance everything. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, I love that this is essentially a, like a full scale MCU showcase of like all the best side characters from the past movies, like every single scene stealing character from like Thor, from Atman, um, even from the Avengers, right? Um, you know, I I think the other thing I like about it is because TV, um, in many ways is sometimes, with the exception of like like let's say Black Panther the movie, but like it's ahead of the curve when it comes to uh maybe inclusion casting. And especially Disney TV has been doing that pretty damn well. So this and and this show putting a woman in the center of the story um, and then also having very, very strong supporting like, you know, uh, Tiana Paris and uh, and Randall Park, I have to say, are pretty much scene stealers and like are and the Monica Rambo character is going to be well. Anyone who knows anything, but you can already tell she's going to be huge. Whatever is coming for her story, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm very pleased. Like, do I want them to the front and center? Sure, but at the same time, I'm so glad at how different this feels from even like let's say the Marvel stuff on Netflix, which was not part of the MCU, um, but even different from Agents of Shield. I a friend of mine compared it a little bit to Agent Carter. Because that was also a woman-centered, you know. Uh, oh, that was a great show. I loved it. Absolutely. Very... And you know what? Check it out. Because if you're watching Disney Plus, you might as well watch that one first. Um, and I don't, yeah, I don't think it got enough of, you know, credit just because it wasn't as tied like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to the MCU. So people didn't feel like they <laughs> the urge to watch it. But oh, my God, it still was great. So it's always fun when you get like movie stars, like movie stars who do TV. And I feel that's what happened with like, like I think Agent Carter was really wonderful and fun because um, Haley Atwell is like wonderful and fun. She's a movie star. And, you know, to see her kind of to spend time with her week after week. So it's really great when you get like these movie stars like Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany. Um, again, didn't get a lot to do in the movies, really. Uh also, I saw this tweet where someone where they're like, "Oh, Paul Bettany like recorded thirty minutes of voiceover ten years ago to be like Jarvis for Tony, <laughs> and now he has to sit in a chair for three hours and get like vision makeup on." <laughs> like he literally forgets he was an Iron Man. He's like, because again, he's only like a voiceover, and he did like thirty minutes of work and like domino effect. Well, now you're in the most interesting TV show like in a long ass time. Yeah, and I love, uh, I know, Marvin, you mentioned, like, getting to see Paul Bettany do weird sitcom dad stuff. And for all those people who seem to have forgotten um, his comedy chops, because they're used to him being... Oh, I know, remember Chaucer. Vision. I know, well, 
Well, some oh, people nice tail, Paul Bettany. That <laughs> yeah. was the best version. I mean, you got anyone who hasn't watch it because then you will never underestimate his comedy again. Um, but yeah, it's just like he he doesn't have as big of a role. But there, there's some times when he's like in that sitcom zone, you're just like, oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> um, yeah. And as the Good Pop Culture Club on the Podcast Collective, uh, we can't talk about this show without talking about James Wu, um, the <laughs> FBI agent who first appeared in Ant-Man and the Wasp and is now like doing buddy cop stuff with Monica Rambeau and Darcy from Thor. Who knew Randall Park would become the new Agent Coulson? Because he is now essentially the Coulson character uh, from the early MCU movies, playing the everyman slash straight man to all this craziness going on around him. And I enjoy his character so much. And when he first appeared and he does the card trick that he learned from Ant-Man and the Wasp, that was like, <laughs> that was perfect. Yeah, it's it's funny because he, I think Randall Park, like he's been around forever, doing stuff forever. Which is why I think like he's built up so much goodwill in Hollywood. And uh, I feel like his career just keeps getting better and better and better. Well, I mean, remember, he's in both MCU and DCEU. Yes. Yes. And so here he is playing sort of the straight man, but he's also definitely, you know, like doing the layups too every now and then. I mean, he's still playing Randall Park. Like, he's definitely yes. Randall Park playing Randall Park playing James playing James Wu or Jimmy yeah. Wu. Yeah, yeah. And so I would have to, you know, uh, once again, remind you to watch The Young Rock because Randall Park is literally being Randall Park, but in a heightened way. So there, there's definitely echoes of Randall Park in Jimmy Wu. Um, he's made it his own. And I think that's what I love because... There's some actors who cannot never be anything but themselves. Like Julia Roberts is Julia Roberts. You know, whatever movie she's in, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise. And I don't mind that. You know, they're fine. But in some way, like Randall Park has the ability to be other things, but he's also Randall Park. And I, I think that's just such an interesting line to be and also to make him his own character sort of a, I don't know, an iconic type of character it is interesting yeah it's funny because jimmy woo in the comics is like he's like a super spy type character who like knows martial arts and can kick ass and i wonder if they're hiding that because you've never seen jimmy woo in an action scene i also think that jimmy woo in the hands of a less charming actor slash person is nothing mm-hmm. right if you yeah. really think about it jimmy woo's like not he's a straight man he's a little doofy but like with Randall Park, it's like he's likable. He's a little doofy, but you know, you know you're you rooting for him. and But you still think he can get the job done. Like, <laughs> so I, I think for that, it's like it is really just it's like a charisma role. You know, you have to just like the person. I mean, even when he's when we're introduced to him in Ant-Man versus uh, Ant-Man and Wasp, you know, he's kind of like the obstacle in Scott, uh, Paul Rudd's way. And we also all love Paul Rudd. Mm-hmm. So to like love a cop, you know, play, that is trying to separate Ant-Man, Paul Rudd from like being in his daughter's life, but still like not hating him. Like that is the power of Randall Park. That is the charm of Randall Park. He is going to make me watch some of the MCU films that I had gotten around to. And actually, the show is making me do that. So, like, I hadn't watched Captain Marvel. I'm going to watch oh. that. 
I'm going to uh, rewatch Ant-Man so I can watch Ant-Man and Wasp because I hadn't watched <laughs> Ant-Man's that. Ant-Man's great. Yeah, well, Ant-Man's I enjoyed fun, Ant-Man, yeah. um, but I, I want to rewatch it because it's been so long. And then, you know, the, I think, I don't know, I guess I'm going to watch Doctor Strange. <laughs> it's fine. If I mean, it's uncomfortable when it gets to that specific part yeah the mysticism parts go just like but you uh, you kind of just go <laughs> yeah white people <laughs> Look, you know yeah i powered through iron fist just because i had to say i need to watch this so <laughs> oh, I, have, I have i have not touched that it's at not all. as uh, bad as iron there fist. you go that that's great praise not as bad as iron fist <laughs> so um but besides which there is another dr strange um movie coming in phase four yeah. So I I want to be able to prepare for that. Um, I mean that and, movie is yeah. already co-starring Elizabeth Olsen as um, Wanda Maximoff. So exactly. I mean, if this show follows the House of M story, at the end of the show, it's going to set up like whatever st- new status quo is going to be for the rest of Phase Four, which we don't know right now. That's how that's how like mind fucking that this show is right now for everyone because we don't know where it's headed and some part of me is actually a little wary because will people have to watch the show in order to watch the rest of the movies right like that's how they get you (laughs) i mean this is exactly what they're doing with star wars uh you have to like watch all of it in on every screen (laughs) to know what's going on um it like I literally just told you I'm having to go back and watch other films just so I get a deeper experience with the show. So, yeah, um, I, I, I it, for me, a little bit of that feeling was when I was covering Game of Thrones, because um, for a good five years when I was covering it, it was this dance between what I knew was happening in the books, what was actually on the show and then what we knew that. The creators knew, but if they were going to diverge from whatever George R. R. Martin was doing. So there's a lot of that uncertainty. And then yet there's also that blueprint of what you know where you're going. Maybe. (laughs) So, yeah, I I think the fact that they're willing to, you know, diverge from it. But also it is Wanda Maximoff. She can change reality. And that means she could change WandaVision from whatever is going on in House of M. So yeah, I'm 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 very curious to to kind of see the reaction. In some ways, I'm actually thinking of not reading those just to, so I can see everyone else go what. <laughs> As someone who has like no knowledge or interest in following the comics, and who is a, I'm not, I'm not the most diehard Marvel fan. Like I'm not deep di- deep diving into like the like the references or anything. I just love not knowing what's going on or what's happening next. I don't remember the last time I felt like this or you could feel like this about a show, not just story-wise, but structurally and formally. Um it's 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 a nice feeling, I must say. It it's I haven't I have not been this excited about like a like a narrative TV show in this in, in this this long usually it's reserved for like my reality competitions right because that's like that's a very unknown you don't know what's going to happen next i i would there were a few weird things about it later on but i do say in there's a little bit of dna in um legion which was also a marvel inspired show but it was on fx and it was in some ways visually trippy narratively trippy um there was definitely some possible mental illness storylines going on there 
Um, well, not possible. It, he literally has multiple multiple well, personalities. Yeah, I, I, well, just in case people weren't really watching it <laughs> like yet. <laughs> um, but and and yeah, and so I would have to say that I very much appreciate TV shows that take some big swings as far as narrative storytelling and not just laying it out for you and letting you guess because. You know, yes, there is this sort of MCU built in, like, what does it mean? Da, 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 da. But I also just really love that if you just sit in the moment, you d- you just can think about what it means just for her versus like the bigger, you know, storytelling universe that they're trying to do. So, yeah, I, I very much am just like, I'm very happy it's one per week that we can all talk about it. And I literally, I think the night before I went to bed. Um, and then in the middle of the night, I had insomnia. So I looked at Twitter, which you shouldn't do. Don't do it, kids. No, that's not how you how, get back to sleep. However, a few of my friends who are in, you know entertainment journalists were all tweeting, oh, my God, I can't even talk about the spoilers. And I was like, oh, shit, I need to go wake up and like watch it right now. <laughs> so it, it's, it's kind of that excitement that, you know, uh, I have again. And in some ways, kind of like what Mandalorian did for us, it's like, since it's released on Fridays, it kind of gives you that extra, it's the weekend sort of excitement going on that you haven't had because a weekend just means you stay at home again. So <laughs> these days, uh, yeah, so I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, it's amazing to see how, I mean, I say amazing. It's also maybe kind of nefarious to see how much Marvel, especially the Marvel movies, have seeped into popular culture. In terms of like everyone knows who Tony Stark is. I mean, there's there's like this common pop culture collective consciousness now about the MCU where people who don't read comics like Jess know who these superheroes are, kind of know their backstories because Kevin Feige has just created this whole ecosystem. Empire. Right? Empire. <laughs> An um, empire. Yeah. I remember I think it was by Iron Man two or three. I watched it with a friend because we had an early screening. And then afterwards, you know, when you get the requisite mid credit sequence that like teases another movie, I remember turning to him and just thinking like, I feel bad for when I'm dead because then I won't get to watch the MCU films that are coming out. Then. <laughs> you know, that I'm, I'm already missing them because I just imagined it just getting bigger and bigger and just extending through infinity. Um, so in some ways, Part of me is like, oh, my God, it's just a big machine, money-making machine, blah, 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 blah. If it just kept trading off of the same formula, I would probably be more upset. But since they're trying to do different things and stretching themselves with things like WandaVision, I'm excited. Um, so, yeah, I and t- until it starts feeling very much rote to me, then I will just keep on getting excited about the next thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, WandaVision is a Marvel property. It's a superhero show with very little fighting. I think in the five episodes, there hasn't been any big action scenes. It's it's mostly just character work. There's a few like drone weaponized drones and like <laughs> some laser weapon pointing. But, yeah. you know, it's not really that's. It's not really like fight choreography that you're expecting. And when when you're talking about character work, I think that's actually why this is perfect for TV, because to revisit a character episode to episode and see like how they change and are dealing with things. That's what TV is great for. 
And it's one of the reasons why I get very angry at filmmakers who are like, I made a 10 hour TV show. No, I mean, movie. No, you made a 10 hour TV show. (laughs) And there's a reason why TV works for certain things and movies works for other things. So and number one among that is like character arcs and changes. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. (laughs) Yeah. So last question for you guys. Is WandaVision good pop? I think you can tell. Yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Yes. No, I, I totally understand. There's just also like a contingent of people who like superheroes is not their thing. Genre is like not their thing. I'm never going to get my, you know, parents to watch this show. And honestly, if you don't care, if you don't care at all, about, you've never cared about the superhero thing. I do think the barrier to entry to the show is incredibly high. You kind of have to understand the entire last 10 years of the MCU which is what, like, how many movies have come out in the last 10 years? It's like maybe like two, like 20 something movies. <laughs> so that's like 20. They're all like three hours long. There's like 300 hours of like movies you have to watch before you can like get a sense of the show. Not that you have to, but you know, like, I do think some of the buried, it's a hard sell if you're talking to someone who like does not like genre stuff. That's true. To those people, I'd say watch Agent Carter then. So, um, <laughs> Because that feels like a period show, a period action show. And it is. Yeah. And Agent Carter has much less like superhero-y elements. She's just kind of like a kick-ass like fighter, spy lady. She has, yeah. She has it's a really much good more straightforward for sure. Because yeah, WandaVision does, it's, it starts meta. It gets even more meta as it goes. And it's, it's not exactly a straightforward show because the first two episodes are literally two 30-minute 50 sitcom episodes, right? Um, but I mean, I, I just love it so much. It's, it's weird. It's meta and it's actually really dark, which, you know, I guess that's why I love it. Yeah. And, and for those people who are like, oh, there isn't enough action or whatever. It's like, don't trash this because it's not exactly like that. Just think of it as bonus content until you get to your next action movie. Um, and, and it's kind of like, no one expects the little teases at interstitials you know, during the credits to be fully formed action sequences. So just, yeah, think of it as bonus, <laughs> um, a connector. And I think I think it's just people who have different expectations of it, who are diehard MCU fans are going to be like, yeah. you know, they just need to think of it as something different. But also, I agree with Jess, like if you are totally not following any of that stuff, this is not going to be something that you want to watch. Do not, yeah, don't tr- don't try to start this. Even though everyone on Twitter is talking about it, like this is that's not going to be the place to start. But yeah. you're going to be like, wait, who is this? Like, what? She's in love with a a, a flying robot dude. What? Like, no, he's more okay. You know what? It's yeah, fine. literally, yeah, she's in love yeah. with a flying robot dude. Yeah, literally, my mom has never watched one MCU movie. Um, she would not watch this. If I wanted her to watch anything, I would. It would be something else. So, yeah. <laughs> but if you do love the MCU, this show will, it will give you what you need. As long as you have a Disney Plus subscription. <laughs> Look, at this point, one of your friends, one of your relatives has Disney Plus and they have many profiles. They can just add one for you. All right. Um, WandaVision is ongoing. Um, new episodes drop every Friday. Uh, episode six is coming this week. And God, I can't wait. Uh Jess Han, thank you once again for joining me for another episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. If people want to find out more of your thoughts online, where can they go? 
I'm on Twitter at JustJewTweets. And I am at Anonymous. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Marvin Yet. You can find the show at Good Pop Club and check out our past episodes by going to the website goodpop.club. Uh, once again, thank you to the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-hosted podcasts that we're a proud member of. Check out our fellow Potluck shows by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, we'll be back next week to talk about the finale of the To All the Boys I Loved Before trilogy um, on Netflix called Always and Forever. But until then, um, have a great week. Happy Lunar New Year. Happy Valentine's Day. And we'll see you all later. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app. And we're getting tired of proving-